praise team. If all you have is Jesus, you are a rich individual, I will guarantee you. You may be seated and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, adults, Luke chapter 13, and while you're doing that, boys and girls, gather around the iPad. If you're in the very back, listen up. I've got a little thing for boys and girls to, to think about today, and the title of my little minute message for kids is, Whose Fault Is It? Kids, did you ever get blamed for something somebody else did? Maybe your brother did it and you got blamed for it. Maybe your sister did it and you got blamed. Maybe you did it and they got blamed for it. Maybe it was at home. Maybe it was at school. Someone thought you did something and said you are the ones guilty of it. And you said, no, I didn't. But you had nothing to do with it, but you got blamed anyhow. That's no fun, is it? No fun at all. That must be how God feels when everybody blames God for every bad thing that happens in the world. Isn't it kind of weird, boys and girls? When good things happen, we say it's because we're so smart, or we figured things out, or we did it ourselves, or we're so strong, or whatever. When good things happen, we take credit for it. But when bad things happen, must be God's fault, because he's the omnipotent one. If he let it happen, it's got to be his fault. But it's not. 
Because when Adam and Eve, remember them? When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, it was their fault. They could have eaten from any of the trees in the garden except the one that God said, stay away from that one. And they wanted to eat the very one he said, stay away from. So when people began disobeying God, when they began stealing and lying and killing and taking drugs and doing other bad things, the world became a whole lot more dangerous. Animals became dangerous and fierce. Storms began to happen that they had never had before. Droughts came and people starved to death and wars broke out. Not God's fault. It's our fault for being sinners. In fact, with all the sin in the world and all the problems that come along with sin, God has made a way for eventually for everything to be perfect once again. Not today. It's not perfect right now. But one day it will be because God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty of death for all of us so we could have eternal life because the price was paid by him and he offers it to us. The wages of sin is death. You know what wages are, right? When you do your chores, you get your allowance. Back when I was getting allowances, it was a quarter. You probably get about $15. I don't know what you get right now. The tooth fairy breaks me, I'll tell you right now. But, <clears throat> but, but you, you do your chores and you get paid. You do your work and you get paid. That's wages. The wages of sin is death. Because we're sinners, we're going to die. But the other part of that verse is the gift of God. You know what a gift is, right? When you have birthdays and Christmas, people give you a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God could have just turned his back on this whole mess and walked away from us forever and ever and ever and ever because we obeyed him, but he didn't. In fact, he allowed his son to take our place and to die for us so that one day it can be perfect in heaven forever. Let me tell you what's God's fault. This is God's fault, okay? Heaven is God's fault. Being part of the family of God is God's fault. Boys and girls, don't blame God when things are bad. Thank him when things are good. All righty? Luke chapter 13, adults, and chapter, in verse 10 of Luke chapter 13. Um, oh, let's see. Last week we preached on a, about an unnamed lady who was ill for 12 years before finally being healed. Uh, by touching the hem of the garment of our Savior. The week before that, I preached on the uh, man who sat by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years <clears throat> before he was healed. This week I'm preaching on, and the title is A Really Short Miracle, but don't get your hopes up. The title doesn't mean it's going to be a short sermon, okay? <clears throat> That's a really short miracle. It's a short one because it involves three verses. That's all, three verses. Verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. That's four, huh? Okay, four verses. <laughs> School's out. My math is a little rusty right now. <clears throat> verses 10 through 13, you would think it's three, but it's not. It's four. Okay, here it is. One Sabbath day, literally the seventh day, the, the day of completion, the uh, day of cessation of work for the Jewish community, the Sabbath, Saturday. Uh, on the Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in didasco, which means instructing by word of mouth, he was like a rabbi, like a teacher, to the people, kind of like what I'm trying to do right now. Uh, he was doing that in the synagogue, which was a gathering or assembly of Jews to worship God 
<clears throat> and to learn more about God. My, now, wait, let me, let me break away for just a minute already, okay? <clears throat> Here's an important point. In today's pandemic, many Christians have rightfully pointed out that the church is the people, not the building. And, and that's true. However, and this is a big however for me, you may not agree with it, but you know what? You've been wrong before. So uh, this is a big however. <clears throat> to be 100% accurate, a church is not a church until it is assembled. A church is not a church until it's assembled. The, Greek, the English word comes from the Greek ekklesia, which means a public assembly or gathering of people. It could be a political gathering. It could be a religious gathering. It could be some informal service of some kind. But it was a ecclesia. It was a it was a gathering, a called out assembly. We're called out of the world to come together to assemble in this place for church. This is church. You are the church. You're here. You're the church. You who are watching at home, you're part of the body of Christ. If you know Christ, we're never not part of the body of Christ once we come to know Him. But the church is that which is assembled right out here. If we are saved, uh, we're not a church until we assemble. Uh, we're, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, uh, as the matter of some is, in Hebrews 10.25. And at some point, government mandates are going to become a problem. And they already are for many churches in California. They already are for a great many churches. Uh, he saw... Anyway, they were, they were synagoguing, they were assembling, they were meeting together. We, it's important to meet together. We cannot go indefinitely without meeting together. It's part, fellowship is part of the purpose for God's church, encouraging each other, mutually meeting together. Iron sharpening iron. We got to be together. You can't, iron can't sharpen iron unless they're, can't sharpen another piece of iron unless they're brought in close proximity. Isn't that right? So we've got, to become, uh, we've got to come into close proximity at some point in time. We have to assemble. So um, just want to throw that out there. That's kind of a, a, an aside. Uh, but anyway, as he was in the synagogue, as he was teaching and, and, and preaching and so on, he saw a woman who had been crippled, literally bent forward or bowed or bowed. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I looked it up. I've checked it 14 times in several dictionaries, and I don't know if it's bowed or bowed, but I'm going to say both today so that I'll get it right half the time. So she was bowed forward by an evil spirit, literally by a breath or a, or a spirit being. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight with her, bend her back upright again. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, dear woman, you were healed. The King James, uh, the word in the Greek there is apoluso, which means loosed, you're unbound, you're freed, you're set at liberty of your illness. And then he touched her, and instantly, this is the opposite of last week, right? And last week she touched him, this week he touched her, uh, and, she, and, and instantly she could stand straight, upright, and how she praised God. Well, the text is short enough. But I want to remind you that this demonic influence over this lady, whether it's possession, we'll talk about that in a minute, or, or whether it's influence, I'm not certain, but it had gone on for 18 long years. Imagine being bent over double, unable to straighten up for 18 years. Longer than the lady who had been sick for 12 years, shorter than the man who had been sick for 38 years, but 18 years 
cursed with this malady of being bent over double, not able to stand up. And it would seem from the text that the affliction was not because of some anatomical or biological reason, but rather it was caused by an evil spirit, by a demon. The, spirit, the King James Version says she had a spirit of infirmity. Now, I would have to think with this she probably had pain. That's a guess. We don't know that from here. But I do know that walking had to be hard. Just try walking around bent over double, bent down. Uh, try walking around for a long time. Shopping would have been very difficult. Housework would have been exhausting. Even sitting in a chair or lying in a bed was probably very difficult. And there's no doubt about this. She was very self-conscious as she would go out in public uh, of her inability to stand uh, straight up. She was probably embarrassed by her ailment, at least early on. Maybe she got used to it. I don't know. Some commentators believe that her problem was not limited to just the physical affliction, as we mentioned, but rather was attributed to a demon living within her. So bowed over or bowed over one or the other or both, her eyes were continually down on the ground, uh, beholding the dirt, the dust, the filth. She missed the blue skies, the beautiful clouds. My, lo my wife loves to take pictures of clouds and sunsets. She's not big on sunrises. That's a whole different subject. I'll tell you about that some other time. But sunsets lower away, rainbows, uh, just looking up. She, this lady would miss all of that. She'd miss the birds flying in the air. She'd miss, uh, she, she, she couldn't talk with people and look them in the eye very easily. Probably had to look up to one side. Other women were able to stand upright. And, and, and in that, this woman probably thought they're so lucky. They're so blessed. They're so attractive being able to stand upright because she was not able to. Her malady ruined her dreams, her desires, her purpose for living, perhaps. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, people of First Baptist Church, if we're not careful, those listening by way of the online streaming, we can slip into a malaise of depression or cynicism or despair or pessimism looking only on the negative that's happening in our lives. And I don't know anybody who doesn't have some negative going on in their lives. Do you? I don't know anybody who doesn't have some negative. So it's what you choose to focus on. It's what you choose to meditate about. It's what you choose to, to think about and rehearse in your mind all the time. The unattractive, the disappointing, the negative things of life are not the things we ought to dwell on. It's COVID-19. I'm not sitting around saying, oh, 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 COVID-19. COVID I believe there's something going on. I, I, I'm not certain. I, I'm just got to tell you, I'm confused by the information that we're given. I, one, thing, one time I think it's really bad stuff. Next time I think it's nothing. I, I mean, I don't know what the truth is, of the matter is, but I'm not sitting around focusing on that, worrying about that. What is our affliction? What is your affliction? We all have them. It, it may not be being bent over double, but it may be some other physical problem. Maybe something that you wrestle with. Maybe something that you contend with. Maybe something you've had for 18 years. Maybe you've had it longer than that. And it's something that, that would certainly, if you didn't have that, it would make your life better. Is it a physical limitation? Is it the death of a child? The death of a spouse? Is it... Destruction of a marriage? Is it failure in business? Is it some secret sin? Is it drug addiction, alcohol impairment? Is it, is it pornography? Men and women, 
I'm shocked by the numbers, men and women, in church and out of church, have an addiction to porn. All of us have our infirmities. And the problem escalates when we allow the affliction, the infirmity, to take possession of our spirit rather than to allow the Holy Spirit to take possession of our spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves in, when, when, we get, when we are saved by grace through faith, which means we don't deserve it by grace through faith, that's the means of getting saved by exercising our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, His death, burial, and the resurrection. That's faith. When we exercise our faith by grace, then He saves us. And we, our, te- our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit moves in. And once the Holy Spirit moves in, there is no room for demon possession. That's the inoculation. That's the vaccine for demon possession is to have the Holy Spirit indwell you by grace through faith. Let's move on. He saw a spirit, or rather the spirit had something to do with her malady. And you say, surely, preacher, you don't believe in spirits and Ooh, and ghosts and phantoms and, and evil spirits and demons, do you? Well, if I believe in angels, I've got to believe in demons. If I believe the Bible, I've got to believe in angels. If I believe the Bible, then I've got to believe in angels and I've got to believe in demons. I, I believe in both. The Bible tells us about both. Now, I'm going to go really quickly over this next. If you want more detail and references, you'll have to uh, tell me and I'll email it to you or whatever. But an angel ministered to Hagar in the wilderness, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. When she was left out of despair because Sarah was treating her poorly and she thought she was going to die and her son was going to die. An angel ministered to her. Angels prepared the land of Canaan for Israel's invasion. Did you know that? In Exodus chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 33. An angel ministered to the prophet Elijah when he had just whipped uh, the false prophets of Baal on Carmel. And he was, you know, feeling his oats. And man, had 450 of those false prophets beheaded. And all of a sudden Jezebel says, I'm going to get you, boy. And he runs. He runs. He wasn't afraid of 450 prophets. He wasn't afraid of King Ahab. But Jezebel got got on his case, and he took off, and he ran for two days, and he sat down under Jupiter tree, and he was just ready to die. And an angel actually came to him, prepared him food and drink, not once but twice. He fed him, gave him something to drink. He slept. He woke up, gave him something else to eat. Gave him okay, 1 Kings chapter 19 spent too long on that. Angels encamped round about God's people and delivered them in Psalm 34, 7. One of my favorite uh, references is, is when, when the, the, the enemies all gathered around the prophet and the servant says, oh, what are we going to do now? And, and God gave the servant uh, the ability to see the angelic beings around them that were protecting them by the tens of thousands. Uh, they, they protect us. They encamp around his people. Angels delivered Daniel from the lion's den. I mean, these lions, he was put down in that pit, and the lions looked at Daniel, and God said, mm, 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 mm. and the lions lost their appetite. 
You say, well, they weren't hungry. Yeah, well, when they threw the guys in who had made the false law, uh, the, the law against Daniel, they got real hungry in a hurry. Angels carried the beggar to Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16. Michael responded to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. His answer from God was hindered for a while because he was doing battle with other spirit beings who were evil spirits. Angels appeared to Abraham. Now, folks, you either believe in this or you're not. I choose to believe it. Genesis chapter 18. An angel revealed God's will to Sarah. Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Wait a minute. I'm, was she 75 years old? 75 years, whatever, it doesn't matter at that point. Uh, 75 years old, and you're going to have a baby. She's like, what? And Gabriel announced the promise of Jesus to both Mary and Joseph at different times. And, and because of that, Mary gives an eloquent uh, pronunciation of her dependence upon God and, and, and her deliverance, her, her absolute uh, submission to God's perfect. doesn't know her in the physical, intimate sense of a man and woman until after Jesus is born. An angel set Peter free from jail in Acts chapter 12. And, and these are just a few. If you go to your, your, your topical Bible and you look, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of references of angels uh, coming to the aid of God's people. They're called by many names. Angel of the Lord, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, morning stars, Job chapter 38, verse 7, hosts of heaven, Genesis 2 and 32, principles and powers, Ephesians 3 and 10. They were, these, these angels were originally created by God, Genesis chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3 and Jude verse 6. They had different ranks and duties. It's like the military. It was structured. So you had archangels who were in charge. You had, <clears throat> you had under, I don't know if you had private first class angels or what they're, I don't know, seamen, I don't know what they were, but they had different ranks and duties, Isaiah 6, 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, they were made to worship God, Nehemiah 9, 6, Philippians 2, 9, Hebrews 1, 6, they were not to be worshipped on more than one occasion because of the supernatural power of these angels and the supernatural appearance of these angels. Uh, people would bow down to them, and they would be reproved and told, you're not to worship me. In Colossians 2 and Revelation 19, they don't marry. The only problem I have with my concept of heaven right now is that we'll be like the angels and not be married, and that bugs me, to tell you the honest truth about it. I, I know God's got it under control, and we've got some plans just in case, but uh, whatever. <laughs> The angels don't marry. And they're supposed to be obedient to God. Psalm 103 and Matthew 6 and 1 Peter 3. And they have knowledge of and interest in earthly affairs. They look at us and they look at what's going on and they marvel. Matthew 24, Luke 15, 1 Timothy 5. And guess what? One day they will be judged by men. 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Now, the evil spirits, evil spirits are fallen angels, Okay. In Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Listen to this. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for human beings originally. It is not God's perfect will that anyone go to hell. It is God's will that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's God's will that everyone be saved. That's what God wants. He didn't create hell and the lake of fire. For us, he created hell and the lake of fire for fallen angels who were created in a special class of created beings who knew exactly who God was, didn't have to come to the age of accountability, didn't have to figure out us, and they chose to disobey him. There is no salvation available, by the way, for angels.
for fallen angels. 2 Peter 2, 4, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So the angels that sinned, the ones that uh, they're going to be cast down to hell. In Jude verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, is reserved in everlasting chains under, under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. And Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon, that's Satan, was cast out, and the old serpent called the devil and Satan, a bunch of names right there, all referring to the same entity, who deceives the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And these fallen angels are called, I'm going to try to say it, daimonizomai, which is the Greek, means demons is what we translate, and they have great power. There are three things they can do, basically. Well, there are three main things that should concern you and me, that they, they can do lots of things. They can possess lost people. Demon possession is real. Some of you who have been to foreign ports, some of you who have been to foreign countries, know more about the overt power of demons than most of us who have been, we have big side all of our lives. Because stage side, we have, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because, because there was a general uh, Judeo-Christian uh, weaving into the fabric of our society from the beginning. I don't know if it's because uh, a lot of Christians, a lot of Americans used to be Christian. I, I don't know the reason. All I know is we see less, have seen less of the demonic activity than a lot of countries. And I say that, but I'll qualify it in just a minute, what I mean uh, in a little more detail. So lost people can actually be inhabited by demon, a demon or demons. The, the, the two men of, of the Gersagines in Matthew chapter 8, Gersagines in Matthew chapter 8, they were demon-possessed. They, they had been bound and they would break their bind, break chains, and, and they would cut themselves and cry out, and people were scared to death of them. They had these demons. Demons would cause people to throw themselves into the fire, throw themselves into the sea, to take their own lives, whatever else. Demonic activity. I didn't say it doesn't happen in America. I just say it's not as overt, maybe, as in some countries. So they can possess the lost. Secondly, they can oppress the saved. First, first Samuel, God in the Old Testament called a righteous man, but he was oppressed by evil spirits. Not the same as being possessed. They couldn't move in, take up residence, but they could sure make his life miserable. And that's exactly what they did. The third thing is they can influence anyone and anything, perhaps even animals as well. When I think of, of the herd of swine in Matthew chapter 8, where when the, the demoniac was, uh, was, the demons were cast out, the demons said, can we go into this herd of swine? Which, by the way, Jews were not supposed to have. Anyhow, they were unclean. And they said, yeah, and Jesus said, yes, you may. And they went into the herd of swine and ran over the cliff and, and, were, and destroyed the whole herd. So, folks, I, I'm going to tell you something. Demons are not anything to mess with. I, I was, I think, when, when was it? Uh, I think I was working in the hospital when the omen came out. Was that in the 60s? The omen, remember the, and, and uh, you who 
don't know what I'm talking about, don't go watch it, okay? I, I, I had, after I got in ministry, the, the, things like The Exorcist came out, and, and I had a lot of counseling sessions with people who were genuinely disturbed by that movie. Ouija boards don't have anything to do with them. You say, oh, it's just a fun game. It's nothing to it. You know what? Don't mess with that stuff. Fortune telling and, and tarot cards and uh, mediums and soothsayers and necromancy and, and all of that stuff. Seances, that, that, that's nothing to be fooled with. There, there, you say, yeah, well, I did it and it didn't hurt anything. You know what? Maybe it didn't, but guess what? It can. You're opening yourselves up. There is a spirit world. That's why the evolution of Halloween in our country, you have to back up. When I was kids, what it was was just costumes and getting candy. That's what it was. And, and it's evolved into some very morbid, and I mean, I, to, to see some of the things now with the blood and the, and, and the violence and the, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, they can possess the lost. They can oppress the saved. They can cause you misery. Okay, here's how I think demon possession or demon uh, oppression is seen in our country a lot. It's, it's through um, disunity and infighting. I think what we're seeing in the streets of Portland and the streets of Seattle and the streets of Chicago and the streets of Los Angeles, I think, I think a lot of that is because of demon influence and demon uh, oppression and maybe some outright demon possession nothing to it. You know what? You, you may think there's not. I'll tell you something. There is something to it. Anton LaVey and his thing in San Francisco several years ago in a satanic Bible. I'm not really, I'm not, am I? Tell them. I'm not really given to a bunch of weird stuff. Okay, I, but I'm going to tell you something. I had a copy of the satanic Bible to, to read, to do some research in, and it's, I said, I'm not doing this. I put it in my fireplace. The stupid thing wouldn't burn. Now, y'all don't believe me? I don't care. If you said it, I wouldn't believe you either. <laughs> I had to rip it up and get rid of it. These demons are powerful. Don't mess with them. There was, in the Bible, there's a story about some guy. He's going to go out and cast out demons because he saw the disciples doing it, and they whipped him. So I don't know who you are, buddy. And they took off after him. Here's some good news. They are not omnipotent. Oh, Satan is not omnipotent either. There's only one omnipotent being, and that's God. As the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, omnipotence. The disciples were given power over demons in Matthew 10 and in Mark chapter 6 and other places. So this, this evil spirit had controlled this lady's life for 18 years. Now Jesus was there. Jesus was available. Jesus saw the woman in need. Jesus was compassionate and tender. He always is. And he touched and healed her. And he set her free from the spirit that had enslaved her. And Jesus' words were brief but powerful. Woman, you are loosed. You are unbound. You are set free. You are liberated from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. That, that bent over, bowing or bowing or whatever it is, gave way to standing upright and being healed. So the healing, Jesus sought the woman. Think of that. She didn't seek him. Hey, the woman last week sought Jesus. Hey, Jairus' 
daughter who was sick, Jairus, sought Jesus. Uh, but this lady was bent over and caught Jesus' eye, and he sought her. And, and folks, the fact of the matter is, you and I didn't go looking for God. God went looking for us because we're sinners. It's like the cosmonauts, when they first went in, first space shot, they went up, they came back down, they, they said, they had a press conference, we, we did not see God anywhere. Because you weren't looking for him. You were looking to prove there was no God. God doesn't play those games. This lady did not seek him, but he sought her. She was unable to raise her. There's no way we can buy it. We have sold ourselves to sin and sorrow. We are like pilgrim in pilgrim's progress. There's no way we can get rid of that burden on our back. Last week, the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed. This week, Jesus touches the woman, and she is straightened up and immediately able to stand straight. I wonder... I don't know. I'm not, this is total speculation. I wonder if this lady ever blamed God for her malady to begin with. I wonder if when she prayed for a month or so and nothing straightened out, I wonder if she got mad at God, or maybe six months, or maybe a year, or maybe five years, or maybe 10 years, or maybe 17 years, maybe 18 years. I wonder if she was mad at God. Someone said never, it never helps to curse the mechanic when our car breaks down. He's the one who can help us out. We see praise and worship here. When the scriptures say she glorified God, Luke uses the Greek word doxazo. Doxazo. Guess what we get the, our English word from? Doxazo. What do you think? Doxology. That's right. Doxology. It means to glorify, to recognize, to honor, to praise, to invest with dignity, to give esteem or honor by putting uh, him in an honorable position. Uh, she doxologied God, if I can say it that way. She praised him. She lifted him up. She, she reverenced him. She esteemed him. She loved on him. And the indication is from this that she was spiritually transformed as well as physically. Her spiritual transformation was probably more obvious and evident to people around her than even her physical transformation, which was incredible, from being bent over to standing upright. So let me ask you something. How thankful are you to God for the blessings that he's given to us? How, how often do we glorify him? How often do we esteem him? How often do we lift his name up, even in our trials and tribulations? Because that's when it's tough. Anyone can praise God when everything's going great. You're well, you got a job, kids are doing okay, everything's fine. Paul said, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. That thorn in my flesh was a messenger from Satan. Think about this. To torment me and keep me from becoming proud. God allowed a messenger from Satan to torment the apostle Paul so that he would not get proud because he was endued with such power and such ability. He said three different times, I begged the Lord in weakness. So listen to what Paul says. Now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Oh, I can't say this next line. I, I, I'm not a spiritual, not close to him. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Do you hear what he said? I take pleasure in that. All this crummy stuff that happens to me, Paul said, uh, everything that comes because of this messenger of Satan who is oppressing me and causing me misery and trying to keep me from doing what God wants me to do, all of that, I take pleasure in that. For when I am weak, yeah, then am I strong. For when I am weak, then I'm, an old man once said, Lord, help me to understand you ain't going to let nothing come my way that you and I can't handle together. Fact of the matter is, God can handle it all by himself. General William Booth of the Salvation Army got some bad news one day. He was informed that he was going blind. You know what his response was? I've done what I could for people with my two eyes. Now I will do what I can for God and for people without my eyes. That's a pretty healthy response. Helen Keller said, Helen Keller, okay, mute and blind, is that correct? No, deaf and blind, right? Deaf and blind. I thank God for my handicaps. For through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Someone named Evelyn Harala, I don't know, born without hands or feet, became a great musician. How do you do that? Victor Hugo was exiled and wrote a, a novel. Paul Bunyan was imprisoned and, and wrote The Pilgrim's Progress on the labels that were on the milk bottles that, that he was given in the prison cell. Can you imagine writing a novel, first of all? Can you imagine writing a novel by writing it out in little, little milk caps and keeping them all in order? Robert Louis Stevenson suffered much but penned many great stories. Tim Lee, who's been in this church and been in my other church and been at the MCRD and been at Paris Island so many times, stepped on a landmine, lost both legs in Vietnam. And because of that, he said that's the day he quit running from God. And because of that, tens of thousands, maybe, maybe hundreds of thousands now have received Christ as their personal Savior because of his preaching. Now, this COVID's messing with all that, but he'd go to Paris Island and have six or 8,000 guys come in. They, they get in the chapel, and, and, and half of them would get saved. I mean, it, amazing things. He, I see. He ought to change his name <laughs> to Jones or something. He was born with an extremely rare congenital disorder known as uh, phocomelia which is characterized by the absence of arms and legs. He has no arms. He has no legs. And there's virtually nothing he cannot do. He is married. He has a child. He travels the world preaching the gospel. He swims. I can't even swim with arms and legs. <laughs> he goes hunting. He, he does whatever he wants to do. Here's his motto. No arms, no legs, no worries. What's your excuse? So what happened then? Well, you know what happened. The criticism came again. The hypocritical Jewish leaders found fault in this healing, just like they had in John chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda, just like they had in Mark chapter 2 and, Mark, and Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6, where the disciples went through a grain field and plucked some ears and, and harvested the grain and ate them, which was actually permissible. It, just like the healing of the man with a withered hand we talked about, or... No, that's what we're going to talk about next week, right? Uh, you don't know. Okay. <clears throat> uh, 
in Mark 3 and Matthew 12 and Luke 6, just like in Luke 14 uh, with the healing of the man with dropsy, which was no medical term for excessive accumulation of watery fluid in any joint of the, or space of the body. Uh, it, it indicated several problems with the heart, kidney, or liver disease. There always are going to be people who will not like the way we do what we do. We're just trying to reach people with the gospel. We're trying to get people saved. And people don't like necessarily the way we do what we do and decisions that we make. You know what I say? I kind of like the way we're doing it rather than the way you're not doing it, buddy. <clears throat> you come up with a better way, let me know. I'll do that too. Or I'll try. It would appear to me that instead of criticizing Jesus for healing a woman who had been oppressed by an evil spirit for 18 years, instead of criticizing him, they ought to come to Jesus to have the evil spirits in their own lives and hearts cast out. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were every bit as afflicted as this woman was. It's just that theirs was not as obvious. Look, your handicap, my handicap this morning may not be some physical limitation, or at least not obvious, may not be mental or emotional <clears throat> bondage, it may be the need for spiritual healing. <clears throat> God may not remove all the thorns in your flesh out of your life. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't say once we come to Christ and once we get saved, everything is rosy, everything is perfect, we have no more problems, everything is, yay, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. We're still in a broken world, aren't we? And we're broken people, and there are broken people all around us. And, it's an, and there's a battle going on. I, one of the books that Frank Peretti wrote years ago, Piercing the Darkness, or one of them, I, I, amazing novel. <clears throat> one chapter shows the human side of what's going on. The next chapter... The next chapter shows the spiritual side of what's going on. The third chapter, the human side. The fourth chapter, the spiritual side. It's amazing. <clears throat> I think it's not unlike what we live in today, folks. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think our government thinks they're trying to shut down churches. But they are. And I think if we had a novel about it today, you'd have the human side where our government is just trying to keep everybody safe that they're governing, which is their response, part of their responsibility. But I think the next chapter would say they're being used by an evil spirit or evil spirits. Well... They got, he got criticized for healing her, but she walked around upright, as far as we know, the rest of her life and into eternity. Hey, let God do a miracle in your life. Let God straighten some things out that are bent and broken. Follow him. Obey him. Trust him. Don't open yourself up by activities Pornography is associated with demonism. Drugs is associated very closely in the Word of God with, <clears throat> with demon control. Pharmakia, I think is the word 
Yeah, pharmakia in the, in the New Testament. We get the word pharmacy from. Alcohol. Adultery. Same-sex homosexuality. Those things are all associated with spirits of evil that God has said, don't do those things. They're not good for you. They'll break you. Let God work in your life. Let him do in your life what he wants to do. Would you bow your heads? Our Father in heaven, I'm so grateful and thankful for the word of God. So grateful and thankful for the privilege to stand here this morning. So far as I know, free from the virus. So far as I know, free from uh, any oppression at preaching the gospel. Free to proclaim the word of God as best we understand it. Lord, I thank you for the power that you have to control the evil, even evil itself. Lord, we know in the last days that one of the things that's going to be happen is the Holy Spirit's going to be, the Holy Spirit's influence from this world will be removed from the world and Satan will have his full power available to do all of the evil that he wants to do. And Lord, I pray that we would not be here for that. I don't believe we will. I believe we'll be with you. So Lord, if anyone's here today, and needs to receive Christ as their personal Savior. May this be the day when they give their lives over to you completely. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, he knows what's in your heart, he knows what's in your mind. So would you pray in your heart, in your mind, or out loud if you want to, it doesn't bother me, but would you pray this prayer? If that's your desire to receive Christ as your Savior, say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die and stand before you one day. And I want to make sure that I'm ready. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to be my master, my Lord, my Savior, my God. I trust you right now in Jesus' name. Every head still bowed. Every head still bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, just prayed that prayer, I won't embarrass you. You have my word. But I want to pray for you. So would you just raise your hand up? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I want you to pray for me. Hold it up high for just a moment. If you're watching by home, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand up just for a moment. Father, for each one who's trusting you right now as their personal as your as their personal Savior and Lord, God, show them that you love them, that you are willing to come into their life, that you're willing to take over their life. God, be our our master, we pray in all things, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. It's a dangerous world out there, but guess what? Angels go before us and behind us, and they're above us and they're below us, and on both sides. They'll walk with you. So let's go serve God, and let's be missionaries to a lost, dying, and hurting world in Jesus' name, all right? God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today. Pick up some donuts on the way out.